Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. show was put on by EasyJet at an airport in London, England. It featured like a mile and a half of lights on the plane as well as shining on the plane in the grounds around it. Have you found Luke chapter 1? We're going to speak today on the lights of Christmas. What are the Christmas lights all about? Are they just about winning contests and having light wars with your neighbors? They're about just car rides and enjoying uh, the evening? Are they some pagan festival being carried over? Are they about parades that Granbury has once a year? What are the Christmas lights about? Well, they're about Jesus. They point to him. In Luke chapter 1, the story is told of the conception of Jesus, but prior to that was the conception of his cousin, another miraculous birth. His elderly mom and dad were barren, and lo and behold, he was conceived. Prior to that happening, an angel visited Zachariah to tell him his aging wife was going to have a baby, and he argued with the angel, so the angel made him mute. All right? You're not going to speak until after the baby is born. Men, you don't know what you miss by talking too much. There is a time to be silent. Of course, there's a time to speak as well, so don't be saying, Pastor gave me a reason to give you the silent treatment. Don't want to do that. I hate that. So, John the Baptist was born, and the day he was circumcised, they were going to name him, and Elizabeth, his mom, said his name's going to be John. No, it can't be. His father's name is Zachariah. Everybody's talking for Zachariah because he can't speak. So they gave Zachariah something to write on, and he wrote his name is John. At that point, his tongue was loosed. He was able to talk. And he gives a glorious prophecy about the ministry of John, his son. And he wraps up that prophecy by pointing to Jesus, verse 78 of Luke 1. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So here's this promise of light coming. For generations, the priests had pronounced blessing on the people of God based on 
instructions in Numbers chapter 6, I think around verse 26 or so, said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And here's the fulfillment of that prophecy, the coming of Jesus. In the next chapter, Jesus is born, and some shepherds are out in the country outside of Bethlehem. They were in the same country, living out in the fields, verse 8, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone, can we say shined, shined around them. I don't know if shined is a word, but it works in this context. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great, great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So much prophecy is being fulfilled on this day. It's incredible. He's born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Um, Bethlehem means house of bread. So here's the bread of life coming into the world in the house of bread. He's laid in a manger, not the kind you normally see in nativity scenes. Mangers there are hewn out of rock. So the stone made without hands that Daniel prophesied about comes into the world and is laid in a stone bed, no doubt with some straw, a place where sheep are fed, cattle are fed. It's a stone tub that holds food as well as water. And here is the source of eternal life, water of life being laid there, the bread of life being born there, the food, eternal food, the manna from heaven being laid in this stone feeding trough. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, notice they didn't say singing, saying, let's all read it together with our best angel voice, all right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Goodwill toward men. Some translations say toward men of goodwill, but I think that's salvation by works. His peace comes not because we have such goodwills. His peace comes because he wants us to have goodwills, but it's his goodwill, his grace toward us that his light of peace has shined upon us. So it was, verse 15, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Then I just want to refer briefly to Matthew's rendition. Both Matthew and Luke have the story of Christ's birth. Matthew comes on the scene by giving the genealogy of Jesus. Then he jumps beyond the birth to where he's a newborn baby, but they're living in a house. They're no longer in a stable they're still in Bethlehem. It says, verse 1 of Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, can we say from the east? From the east 
came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. They didn't see his star in the east and head east. They were in the east and they saw his star in the west and they came. If they had come in from Egypt or Algeria somewhere, they would have been men from the west, but they were men from the east, probably a rock somewhere. And they saw this star and they pursued it, believing it pointed to the Messiah. They go to the king in Jerusalem and he calls some scholars together and they determine that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He says, when you find him, come back and tell me so I too can worship him. Of course, he had ulterior motives. That wasn't his intention at all. And the Lord warned them so they didn't go back to him again. Verse 9, when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star. What do stars give? Light, right? The star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great what is this star? It could have been an actual star. It could have been the Shekinah glory of God. It could have been planets lining up appearing to be a star. Nevertheless, it was a sign in the heavens that pointed to the coming of the Son of David, the coming of the Son of God, the coming of the Messiah, signified by light. So lights point to Jesus. of Christmas, as I said earlier, are not just about our enjoyment, but they're a sign from God. Anytime you see a light, remember what it points to. In 1989, President George H.W. Bush became functioning as the President of the United States, and he implemented a program he called 1,000 Points of Light. And it was his effort to honor nonprofits that received no government help, nonprofits that helped the poor and disadvantaged, by just acknowledging them and putting them on this list. Point of light number 389 was my sister Gayla and her husband Greg Holly. Their ministry was based in Bloomington, Illinois at the time. Now it's based in Spring, Texas. It's now called Moms Against Hunger. At the time, it was called Purpose Ministries. And they got to meet him at the airport in Chicago by the steps of Air Force One. They actually got to go in Air Force One and uh, tour that. But President Bush shook their hand, gave them a typewritten letter, expressed his appreciation to them for what their ministry was doing to help Americans in need. So that's points of light. But today I want to talk to you about point of lights. The lights of Christmas point us to Christ. They point us to Jesus. In Matthew 4, Jesus is ministering in an area of the Holy Land, 
And in so doing, he was fulfilling an, a prophecy in Isaiah 9. It says, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. This kind of connects to Zechariah's prophecy, doesn't it? In John 1, it begins with God's Word becoming flesh, God's Word being God, God's Word being with God. It says, in Him was life, verse 4, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So physical light, we don't worship physical light, but we recognize the fact that physical light is a metaphor that points us to Christ. No wonder the Bible says Satan wants to appear as an angel of light. What is that? He's a counterfeit. He wants to draw attention to himself. But even his light points to the Creator, because one day he is going down. Can I get an amen? The thing with spiritual light, though, unlike physical light, if you, know, you turn the lights on in a room, the darkness disappears, right? But spiritually speaking, people can choose to be in the dark and reject the light. Jesus said that our eyes are like lamps. He said the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your body is full with light. If your eye is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Be careful that the light that is in you is not darkness. In other words, people think they see things the way they really are. They think they see things 2020. They think they're living in the light when they're really living in the dark. So the lights of Christmas point us to Jesus and his true light, but our part in that is to receive that light. Number two, his light blesses those who receive him. Verse 10 of John 1, he was in the world, the world was made by him, made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. So it's important to receive the light and allow the light of Christ to dissipate our darkness. Those who reject his light are in the dark. In John 3, Jesus told a man who asked how to, you know, asked about Jesus' ministry, and Jesus told him he needed to be born again. He said, how can I be born again? And in his explanation, he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Then he goes on to explain what the condemnation of the world is, and it's to live in darkness. This is the condemnation, verse 19, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Thieves... Don't love to break into well-lit places. Between here and Benbrook is a warehouse company, some type of operation that has to do with fireworks. It's on this side of the freeway. Any night of the year you drive by that place, it is so well-lit, it's unbelievable, even though you know, they don't sell fireworks 
all the time in Texas, right? So what's that about? It's about keeping the thieves out. Keep that place so well lit, a thief won't even think about approaching that place. Verse 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You want to live a life without regrets? You want to experience guilt-free living? Come to the light. He'll show us how to live. Jesus said that he is the light of the world. I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The context of this verse really makes it more beautiful than it already is. It's great to know he's the light of the world, right? The context is he just forgave a woman caught in adultery. He was around Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. He's there in the temple grounds, and they come dragging a woman to him with rocks ready to stone her and asked him, should we stone her? She was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. They weren't slandering her. This is true rocks. Sometimes people quote that verse when they're being slandered. He who's without sin cast the first stone. No, these were real rocks. And they all had to drop their rock because none of them were without sin. He turned to the woman. Jesus asked her, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. No doubt she was broken, right? Facing death. No doubt she was repentant. Let me go and I'll never do it again. Christ forgave her and told her to go and sin no more. His next words to the group were these words, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Lady, follow me, and you will go and sin no more. The key to walking in life that's not a life of sin is following Jesus. Letting him be the light of your world. He's the light of the world, but is he the light of your world? He's told his disciples in John chapter 9, in the context of healing a blind man, he said, as long as I am the, in the world, I am the light of the world. Sure, this blind man is enjoying light for the first time, but I'm the light of the whole world. And there are some people that can see naturally that aren't enjoying my light. What are you saying? Number five, he called us out of darkness into his light. This is the gist, the synopsis, the whole point of the gospel is walking in the light as he is the light. A little while longer, the light is with you. In John 12, he says, walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. Anybody stubbed your toe on the bedpost? Those things don't normally happen when the lights are on, right? It's in the dark. You don't know where you're going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light, children of light, children of the day, children of God. Let me emphasize, we do not worship physical light, but physical light is a metaphor or a symbol that points us to spiritual light, the light of the truth of God. Verse 46, he goes on, he says, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not 
abide or live in darkness. Peter, one of his closest followers, in his first letter, chapter 2, wrote, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. The old King James says, into his marvelous light. We, just as he is the light of the world, we are called to be the light of the world. How does this happen? It happens together. It's a corporate I am not the light of the world. You are not the light of the world. Jesus said I was. No, he was speaking to the multitudes when he said that. You are the light of the world. Together we reflect the glory of God. It takes more than one of us to show the world what God is like. Isn't that awesome? In his first sermon recorded, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So hiding, being timid, keeps us from shining our light, being selfish, living at odds with one another, keeps us from shining our light. It robs us of the opportunity to be who we are. Paul told the church in Ephesus, chapter 5, verse 8, at one time you were darkness, but now, we say now, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So once we were darkness, now we are light in the Lord. So we need to live that out. May the righteousness that has been imputed to us be lived and shined through us as we walk in obedience to him. Ephesians 5.11, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So having called us out of darkness, we got to begin to live in his light. In 1 Thessalonians, he wrote, you are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So this is a new identity we've been given, a new function that we are called to live out. Number seven, we must walk in God's light together. Can we say together? Together. together. It, it's a we thing. It's not just me and Jesus got my own thing going. George Jones had it wrong. You may have made money off that song, but it's not true. You don't have your own thing going. Your personal relationship with God is good, but if it's going all going somewhere, it's going to be with others. We must walk in God's light together by true love. Can we say true? And pure fellowship. Can we say pure? That pursues unity. Can we say unity? Pursue unity. Stay away from divisive people and repent when you catch yourself participating in conversations that are not producing unity in the body of Christ. First John, probably the closest follower to Jesus, verse 5 of chapter 1. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. What does that imply? If we do not have fellowship with each other, we're not walking in the light, right? But if we are, the blood of Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Sin primarily exists in our relationships. But in fellowship, we learn to live lives that are pure. If we offend someone, we get that right. If someone's forgiven us, uh, offended us, we go to them and ask for forgiveness. If we don't know and they tell us, we humble ourselves. If someone says, you offended me, don't defend it. Say, well, you made me mad. No, I am so sorry. Believe them. The next chapter, he goes on. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But if anyone hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Prejudice is like this. I never met a person who's highly prejudiced that wasn't convinced beyond all shadow of a doubt that they were right. Meanwhile, they're walking in total darkness. They filter out of their perception anything that contradicts what they believe about life and other people, and it keeps them from enjoying fellowship. If you hate anyone... They're made in the image of God. He goes on to say in this other thing, how can you say you love God and then hate somebody that, that he loves? Someone that's made in his image. God loves a person that annoys you the most just as much as he loves you. Let me explain something. In his letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1, Paul makes a statement in passing. He's going somewhere with it, but it's, it's the truth. And it, it, he's explaining the mercy of God. He says, in the kingdom, there's not many noble or wise people. Aren't you glad he didn't say there's not any? So basically, the majority of us, God has chosen in his grace to demonstrate his love by choosing the foolish to show his wisdom. Now, hopefully he doesn't leave us that way. But if he brings us to himself in that condition... How dare we hold them to the standard of being exactly like Jesus 24-7? Hello? We're in, we in that verse, and maybe we are the wise, maybe we are the mighty, maybe we are the noble, but it's time for us to have some wisdom and display mercy with one another. Why? So that the light of God can be seen through us. Right? I love these verses. We used to sing them in the King James. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is loveth. No. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. That's not just a cute little chorus. These are instructions for us 
to love each other. Well, I'll love if they'll love. You go first. I had a man tell me, well, God won't even forgive you if you don't ask him, and they owe me an apology, so I'm not going to forgive. Oh, so you're going to be God? The truth is, God has already forgiven and made the way, but you cannot receive the benefits of it until you repent, right? Cross. It is finished, right? So that is a lie used to justify unforgiveness and bitterness, and how's it working for you? Right? So this is all about living in light. Paul told the church in Philippi, chapter 2, verse 14 of his letter to them, do all things without complaining and disputing. Can we say bickering? Do everything without complaining and disputing. And what's the result of that? That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Who believes we live in a perverse world? Perverted, perverted, perverted. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do we shine? By doing everything without complaining and without disputing. So may the Lord bring his light to us and through us down the avenues of brotherly and sisterly, sisterly love. We must walk in God's light rather than together by true love and pure fellowship that pursues unity. And finally, have you received the light of Christmas? I've been hammering on the Christians here for a few minutes, but maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're an unbeliever. Maybe you're a church attender. But have you truly received the light of Christmas? There is blessing. There is freedom. There is cleansing that comes. Sure, we're not perfect, but we're not, he's not done working on us. He's still working with us. This is an amazing church building, humongous in Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church. Sometimes they've had a problem with birds getting in their building. If they shoot them, they make a mess and they damage the building. If they poison them, the bird could die and They don't necessarily choose the most advantageous places to die, and then you stink up the place, right? The only way to get birds out is to turn out all the lights and open one door and make sure that they can see the light coming from that door. And every time the birds wanting out will fly to the light. Have you received the light of Christmas? Have you received the light of Christ? He is shining from Bethlehem into our generation and continues to shine. But our part is to receive, to complete that transaction. If someone extends a gift to you and you do not receive it and unwrap it, you do not have the benefits of that gift. In 1829, two criminals, one of whom was named George Wilson, were arrested during the uh, tenure of Andrew Jackson, the seventh president of the United States. 
They were arrested for mail robbery. They were robbing mail trains and murder. Convicted, sentenced to 20 years and death. And uh, right at the beginning of their sentence, they were supposed to die. And sure enough, his accomplice was hanged, but before they hung George Wilson, someone who was close to George Wilson appealed to the president, President Jackson. President Jackson issued a pardon. George Wilson refused to receive it, and it made its way all the way to the Supreme Court. You can find this out at CNN.com. Look up presidential pardons. You'll find this story. It was determined by the Supreme Court that a um, pardon is considered a thing. I think their word was, it's a bit of property. And it has to be received for it to be carried out. George Wilson turned it down. Guess what happened to him? He got hung. Have you received the light of Christ? That is yours. Have you received the light of the world? He is shining for you. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that every person here who does not know you, that they would see the need for their part to call on your name, to receive you, to unwrap the gift of eternal life that you've given to each of us. Lord, I pray for those who know you, but they've not been walking in your light. They've been in disunity with their brothers or sisters. I pray, Lord, that they would see the need to line up with the truth and to come away from division, to walk in the beauty of your light. Bring healing and restoration so that we all can be as free as you died to make us. In Jesus' name, amen. The brother of Jesus wrote these words in his letter, the first chapter, verse 17. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like drifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light. You and I are called to be his light. But first we receive the benefit of his light. He is like the sun. He is the sun, S-O-N, but he's like the sun, S-U-N. He's a source of life. And we are like the moon. We reflect that life to the world, to the glory of the Father of lights. As we sing about that holy night on which Christ was born, Think about the light that shines into our lives and receive the benefits of it. If you do not know the Lord, begin to pray, Jesus, I need you in my life. May this Christmas be like no other in your life. May you receive all that he has provided for us.